The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark Opperman. This is the Tea Health Show, and in studio today we have our producer, Simpiwe. Good morning, Sims. Good morning. I see that your hat says Askis. What are you complaining about or apologizing for? Winter has not officially left yet, so that's the only reason. I have the great privilege to welcome one of my esteemed colleagues, Dr. Claudia Duval, nephrologist here from Johannesburg, with us in studio. Claudia, it's wonderful to have you back with us, finally. It's it's been a long run to get you here. You've been very, very busy. Good morning, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I know it's been a bit difficult, but I'm glad to be here. Okay. So I I have been noticing in my patients that I'm seeing that there's a steady decline in their kidney function. And a lot of these patients present to me for the first time and I immediately refer them on to you. So let's, let's just start there. Why are our kidneys so important? So your kidneys are really important because they control a lot of body functions and more than I think most people realize. So they are very involved in keeping your blood pressure under control. They're also involved in ensuring you have enough oxygen delivered to all of your cells. Now, most people would think that the heart is really important for that. The heart and the lungs, yes. Yes, but in fact, um, your kidneys are responsible for sending a signal to your bone marrow to make red blood cells. Is this the production of erythropoietin? Yes, that is. It's a very difficult what word to pronounce. Mean? Ask Lam Arms, Lance Armstrong. He'll tell you. Now, Claudia, explain that for us. So erythropoietin or EPO is the hormone that the kidneys release and um, it tells your bone marrow to make more red blood cells. So it became famous because it was used um is essentially doping in sports. And um, the reason for that is people would have an advantage if you had more red blood cells, more oxygen going to your muscles, and so you um, would have a better performance or a performance enhancement. So it is banned in sports if you have extra of the drug. But you know what? I think uh, it's not only for that um, – One of the things that the kidneys do is they control blood pressure. Um, But we, if you think about just normal physics, if you have more red blood cells in a circulation, it's going to increase the viscosity of the fluid that you're pumping, which is going to increase your blood pressure, putting strain on other organs like your heart, for instance. Um, so it's a, it's a very delicate balancing act that you, that you're busy with here. So, well, and that's the whole thing about the kidneys and they are, um, an organ that is all designed about keeping everything in balance, whether it is about how much red blood cells you have or whether it is about what are all of your electrolytes. Do you have the correct sodium? Do you have the correct potassium, magnesium, calcium? That is all controlled by the kidneys and they're involved in very complex pathways that involve multiple different organs. So calcium wise, your parathyroid hormone is involved, your gut is involved, your skin is involved. It's all about vitamin D control. So they actually are involved in so many different pathways 
And modern life, in a way, puts them under huge amounts of strain, which is why we're seeing more and more numbers of people with kidney dysfunction. This is something that is concerning uh, to us as practitioners. And I see some Piwe uh, is nodding her head. Why do you think this is this is bad, Sims? Well, I think just hearing about like your body not being okay in general is always scary. And then hearing that there's like the numbers increasing is just like, do, like am I at a higher risk now because the numbers are getting higher and like, so I'm thinking like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I like thinking in, in, in pictures and I always want to use the analogy of if, um, you stand at one of, let's, let's go to that famous circle in Paris, um, or anywhere in New York where you have someone that's, um, managing traffic flow. Uh, so you don't have your traffic lights. This is a person. If the kidneys is that person and if he misses something or misdirects something, you're going to have a crash somewhere along the line. Um, there's so many things that can go wrong and little things, Claudia, that can cause kidney disease. But before we get to those things, just maybe explain to us what kidney disease means? So kidney disease is actually a very large group of diseases. And um, you can have something that is an autoimmune condition, such as lupus or rheumatoid arthritis that can affect the kidneys. You can be on medication that could affect the kidneys. Um, you could be in a car accident and just the fact that you're in a car accident and maybe you have lower blood flow going to your kidneys that can affect the kidneys. You could be pregnant and develop high blood pressure in pregnancy that would also affect the kidneys. So yeah, this is preeclampsia and eclampsia. Yes. It's, so the, the scope is actually very, very big. And one of the problems, um, with kidney disease is you could have something that happens to you that you maybe think, oh, I was unwell, um, or you could have had COVID and it would have affected your kidney function, but not have known because if you didn't check or look for it and then you would continue your normal life and then present a few years later. And that's often what I find when people present with kidney failure is that they will say to me, but I wasn't sick. I've never been ill. I've never had pain in my kidneys. And it is silent and it is something that unless you look for it, you won't know that you have it. And so it is fairly common to have people who arrive with really poor kidney function and they were completely unknown. So I'm, I will never forget the very first, uh, radio show that you and I did together. It was, um, quite a couple of years ago, and we were still with Radio Today, and we were doing a show on a project that you spearheaded called the, the Queer Wellness Project. Um, and towards the end of the show, we we spoke about kidney function because um, some of the medications like uh, antiretrovirals and anti-inflammatories have a detrimental effect on kidney function. And the thing that changed the way in which I consult with 
every single patient in my office is that you said um, you need to see what the kidney function was like previously. This is something that you monitor continuously. And I, I, I've been starting to do that. And my patients came, comes in. And as medical practitioners, we have access to their previous medical results. And when I look at their, their kidney function, I, I immediately can see and identify that. And then I go back in their history and I print a cumulative report for them and I show them that, you know, for the five or six years, you already are classified as a patient with kidney disease and they are unaware of this. And I think this is one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to do this show with you is to make people aware that um, like you look at your blood pressure or your cholesterol, you have to look at whether your kidney function is stable because it usually fluctuates slightly but always towards the negative side. It's almost as if kidney kidney disease is progressive. It's like diabetes. It is progressive, and and that's why we speak about the trend being so important. Where were you before? Where are you now? Because from the age of 30, there is a normal decline in kidney function. And that is around about 0.8 to 1 on the GFR. So if you had to look at the testing, we would expect a drop of around about 1 per year. Mm-hmm. And that would be age appropriate. But- but, oh, sorry that I interject. We start with a normal GFR of around about what, Claudia? About 100. It's, it's, it should be just above 100. Am yeah, I right? Yeah, so some people can be 120, some can be 130. So okay. let's just explain what GFR means. So GFR is a calculation that we have about how much the kidney filters. And it's a marker that we use to assess kidney function. Um, and you would normally have a GFR starting at, as I said, over 100, 120, 130. And that actually depends pretty much on how many of those functional units or nephrons you have when you are born. And that is actually determined by your birth weight. So, ah, okay. okay. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know that. So the smaller you are, or your, the lower your birth weight as a baby, the fewer you will start with. So some people... Do you develop them then as you mature or not? No. So it's what the number ah. you're born with or the number that you have. So some people might start life with only 500,000 functional units per kidney, whereas other people will have a million. So this is a, this is a, a clear thing. Mums, dads, listen to this, um, you know, because I didn't know this. If you have a premature baby, this is a, this is a person that you need to f- teach from, from uh, childhood that you, my, my child, you have to look after your kidneys because you have a predisposition as you get older to have less functioning units or Am I missing the plot completely? Not necessarily a predisposition. It's just more that you have a 
It's, it is a bit of a risk factor. It okay. doesn't mean you will land up with something, but it does mean that are you slightly more at risk? Yes. Okay. It would be the same as if someone um, landed up in ICU and in ICU they had been on dialysis, but their kidney function recovered. They would be more likely at risk to develop chronic kidney disease later in life. So we always say now, um, and this is actually something that even recently changed. A few years ago, we would have said, oh, if your kidney function recovered, don't worry about it. That's all fine. But the data now clearly shows that if you've had a big incident to your kidneys, you are more likely to land up with chronic kidney disease in future. And so we generally advocate that even if their function is normal, that people see a nephrologist once per year, just if we see something going wrong, we can act earlier or sooner rather than until you actually land up with damage. Um, what you just said, some peewee, um, for me, this is actually shocking because um, I see a lot of patients and I own about 10% of Claudia's practice of, because of the amount of patients <laughs> that I need to refer to her who we identify with decreased kidney function. Claudia, um, something that I remember, I spoke to you about a, a, a program um, I'm, and I think the program is called My, My Body. And it was on one of the streaming networks. I think it could have been Netflix. If it wasn't on Netflix, it was on uh, Showmax or Amazon Prime or one of those. Actually, go and look at it. And um, something that I remember from med school but forgot in the 25 years that I've been practicing is um, a question that I'm going to ask Sampire. Sampire, how much primitive urine do we make per oh day? Not even get any options, like you know, help the sister out. No, but uh, this is interesting because uh, this blew my mind. So, we make urine and we make primitive urine. There's a difference. Claudia will explain it to you now. <laughs> but, um, how much primitive urine do you make? Um, I, I don't, I, I, I would go this, I wouldn't even say 500 mils, I'd be like. What, 200 mils? How much, okay, so how much urine do you make a day? I, I, I would say, I don't know how much people, uh, what's a bottle? 500 mils? I don't know. Yeah, let's go with 500 mils. Okay, you're mils. a little bit dehydrated, but just remember <laughs> that primitive, primitive urine is the, the unconcentrated form. Um, oh, wow. Claudia, am I correct in saying that a human makes about 120 liters of primitive urine a day? Yes, because the kidney concentrates it for you. So you can just imagine, um, filtering that amount. That's the urine. That's not even the amount of fluid that goes through the kidneys per day. But during a 24 hour period, you filter out urine of 120 liters. And then the kidneys have to refilter that to about one to two liters of urine that you're supposed to be excreting on a daily basis. And that's a lot. And I, I hope this will explain to people why the kidneys are so important because this brings us 
to some of the symptoms that we can present with. Claudia, what are the early symptoms of kidney disease? The early symptoms are very vague. They can be just from feeling a bit tired, feeling having a little bit of weakness, um, sometimes being a bit nauseous. Like they, and actually, oftentimes most people don't have any symptoms. Um, for instance, people have a misconception about pain, but pain you will only feel if you've got an infection in your kidney or maybe you have kidney stones. Otherwise, there is no pain when it comes to kidney disease or chronic kidney disease. Um, when your kidney function is very bad, and we're speaking now about that GFR or that filtration rate, and we said more than 90 is normal. When the function is around about 15, then people will start to present with um, feeling more unwell and maybe vomiting, maybe starting to have quite marked itchy thickness in is the skin. Is this because of the accumulation of things like urea yes. and um, other electrolytes that are just completely out. Yeah, so actually most of the symptoms are associated to urea. And when the urea becomes very high, people can become confused. Um, you can get stomach ulcers, so you can start bleeding from your stomach lining. Um, urea is what makes ammonia. Yes. Just by the way. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, um, how do we, how do we manage ourselves in conditions, for instance, like the comrades. These guys are now going to run. They must be putting strain on their kidneys. Um, these endurance athletes, they, they're not hydrating. You cannot hydrate enough. Um, does, does things like that create problems for us later on in life? Or... Um, does the physical activity that these people engage in negate the damage that gets done through these ultra events? So you're opening a whole can of worms. <laughs> I like doing that. <laughs> um, so the bottom line is it actually is very little research and data on endurance athletes. And it is a very tricky thing because – when you do an endurance event, you can also drink too much water and then you can get something where you drop your blood sodium levels, which can be life-threatening. So there is um, a very big question as to what is too much, what is too little and what happens if people do get what we call an acute kidney injury, which is a sudden drop in your kidney function, which does happen at endurance events. But what the long-term outcome is, no one actually knows. There is no study that looks at the long-term. There's one or two cycling studies that um, they're very interesting to read because their conclusion says that there's no long-term effect. But if you read the paper, all of the people that they studied, their kidney function, their GFR did not go back to where it was originally, which then means that there was an element of injury. Damage, yeah. Although um, their conclusion reads something different. So, and when I say there's very few papers, that there's less than six papers. So it actually is an unknown 
question at this point in time. I want to know an answer. <laughs> okay. Um, Sims, any questions for Dr. Duval so far? I, I do have a question, and this is pertaining to some of my colleagues who say they do not drink water, but they always have like Coke or a diet Coke or juice. Um, does that play a role in like your, your the, 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 well, the failure of your, your kidneys. So it does play a role. Um, in terms of diet, cold, cold drinks, we know aspartame is um, not good for kidney function and can contribute to chronic kidney disease. Is um, this what's in candorel? Yes, it's in most sweeteners, um, aspartame. Your other things that look at are... Um, in terms of sugar, sugar drinks, there you've got... Um, issues with maybe long-term diabetes, long-term sugar control, and that does cause problems to kidney function. So if I have someone who comes to see me, we have a very big focus on managing what their sugars are, managing their blood pressures. So everything else that kind of affects kidney function. So I say they're almost the Goldilocks of all the organs. You want to try to keep everything as kind of perfect, make life as easy for them as possible. So if they have to work very hard at concentrating urine, then you are making them work harder. So the likelihood that they're going to be able to function for your whole life is less likely. Whereas if you're having water and they don't have to work so hard, then they manage. But again, water too much is a problem, too little is a problem. And that's why I say it's the Goldilocks. So where, where do we find that Goldilocks? Um, say the, the one that I give my patients uh, in my office, it's 30 mils per kilogram, um, which uh, for me equates to two and a half liters of Fluid. Is it fluid or is it water, Claudia? So it can be fluid. It just depends on what is your component of your fluid. Because remember, the reason with the 30 mils per kilogram, it does, it is based on how much urine you're making, but also sweat is an important thing. So if you are sweating a lot, you might need slightly more fluid, but then it can't just be plain water because you would lose some salt in sweat. So this is where the isotonic Isotonic drinks come in. Do you remember isotonic drinks? Do you know what that is? That sounds Do you so remember dishy. game? <laughs> like game, the cold drink, the cans of game. I'm a bit too young, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Energy is supposed to be isotonic. Okay. So that means that the electrolytes is almost the same as that's what's in your body. Am I correct, Claudia? They, they call them isotonic, but it, it's meant to be, but there's, there's a lot of other things that fall part of it. So it's like, it's, and this is why it is a trick thing. If you're having, um, cause remember too much salt is also bad for you when you eat. Um, so it's about just trying to be generally healthy. Cause if you have a general healthy diet, you should be able to get all of your electrolytes in through fruits, through your vegetables. And um, all of those contains quite a bit of water. Yes, as well. And so, and then if you were to pair that up then with water, then you shouldn't be causing an issue with your, um, body's like natural state. So it's really about trying to live kind of that healthy lifestyle, which we all know is pretty difficult. <laughs> okay. So questions, mm -hmm. coffee and alcohol. 
So coffee is an interesting one because Ooh. there was a recent paper that showed a single cup of coffee a day actually helped to protect your kidneys from chronic kidney disease. But multiple cups of coffee a day did contribute to kidney disease. So again, kind of leading towards that sort of what is a good balance? Like what is not One extreme? One to two cups per day. Yeah. So what is it in the coffee? Is it the caffeine or is there anything else? Because a lot of people would say, yeah, but I drink tea when tea contains caffeine as well. Yeah, so remember, your caffeine can be a diuretic. So that means it makes it easier for you to urinate or to pee. So um, then you would need to have more of a fluid intake. So tea is also problematic it's not all fine and that's obviously i'm talking about ceylon tea not herbal teas okay um i i take it then the same is to be said for alcohol being a, a diuretic yes um so it's very interesting you know what when you go out with a uh, uh, with the boys for a night um at the beginning of the evening you don't pee and after a couple of beers, you start being, and after the next couple of beers, you know what, it's clear, clear, clear fluid, which is what we want. So you're consuming quite a bit of fluid. Um, are you dehydrating yourself? We know that the next day you have a hangover because you dehydrated. So... Um, is alcohol that much of a diuretic? No, it is or a diuretic, yes. In small quantities or in excessive quantities? No, even in small quantities, you will, it will still have, um, so some... for a patient with a kidney problem, alcohol is, you need to be very careful about what you're doing. You need to be careful about what you're doing or you need to also accompany it with, water again, like making sure you stay hydrated. You don't want to go and have a big night out. You don't want to wake up hungover the next morning because those are all, again, just putting that extra strain on your body, extra strain on your kidneys. I don't know if you guys did this, but I remember when we were at RAG, <clears throat> medical students, there was Always a couple of guys that walked around with an IV. Um, there was, there was whiskey in the IV, but you know what? We, we were hydrating. <laughs> so I'm going to get a couple of mates together after the evening and we'll all lie with an IV in our arms. Just a nice dexterous drip. <laughs> so, um, Claudia, I, we have to ask the question. What are the main culprits? for developing kidney disease? So um, high blood pressure, diabetes, they very much are sort of what's driving this um, chronic kidney disease, the numbers in particular. And so being like really strict control on blood pressure and sugar is very, very important. Other things um, does become... Um, in terms of medications, so... I, I, before we go there, yeah. um, because I would like us to spend a little bit of time on the medication one. Before we go there, <clears throat> hypertension can cause kidney disease, but kidney disease can also cause hypertension. Which one comes first? And um, if you can explain a little bit more about hypertension and the kidney effects of it. I, I'm specifically thinking of things like 
renin, where you have that secretion of renin that um, makes medic- medical control of kidney function very difficult. So or medical control of your hypertension difficult. When it comes to, especially if you're meeting someone for the first time, they've never seen a doctor before and they arrive and they've got kidney dysfunction and they have high blood pressure, there it becomes very difficult. Like it's the chicken or the egg saga, which came first. But Sorry, there's a song that just got released. Oh, really? The chicken or the egg? Carry on. Well, that would be similar, yeah. Um, But if you are younger and you are seeing your um, general practitioner quite regularly and or going to your clinic and you're having your blood pressure taken and then suddenly your blood pressure starts to increase, then and you have a blood test and your kidney function is normal. There it would be if you develop kidney function later that that is all because of the high blood pressure. And the reason why the kidneys get affected by high blood pressure is because, as I explained, the kidneys are about 10 centimeters in size and each of these little functional units has an artery that comes into it. Its own little artery. Its own millions of them millions of these little arteries and blood pressure affects arteries yeah and that is why the kidney ends up being affected by high blood pressure but isn't the kidney also responsible for controlling the blood pressure because that's where we notice the blood pressure so um that's where we will release the chemical messages that would tell the blood vessels to dilate or contract. Am I right? Yeah, 100%. Because as exactly as you discussed earlier, the kidney has to deal with huge volumes of fluid that pass through it every second of every day. And if the kidney senses that your blood pressure is too low or the volume coming in is too low than what it normally is used to, it then will send signals to your heart. And that is that renin angiotensin aldosterone system. And it's a very complex system. So it sends signals to your heart, but it also sends a signal to your brain to tell you to drink more. So then it activates your thirst so it'll say to you, you are thirsty, please like have something else to drink. And that's all in an aim to increase your blood volume. And then it will send the other signals that will have effects on your blood vessels to also, and your heart, as I said, to increase the rate. And that is all just to increase your blood pressure so that it gets the correct amount of flow going through it. And so that it keeps everything completely stable in your body. The amount of physics that you've just described and the amount of biochemistry that you've just uh, made us aware of is mind-boggling literally to me, never mind someone. I I think some people, you actually missed a hell of a lot of what we were talking about. Um, And this is the scary part because we actually do not know this. I think if I can try and dumb down what Claudia said is the kidneys are in control of everything in the body, but literally in control of everything in the body. Um, More so, and this is why people are, a lot of uh, medical scientists are starting to say that the kidneys are the most important organ in the body. 
it's the only organ that has a direct connection to every other organ in the body. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's got very complex pathways. And the thing is, so don't worry about most medical students hate learning about the kidney. Um, because it is very bright <laughs> one. Like Claudia, if it becomes a nephrologist, this is bloody difficult. <laughs> because the, the pathways are so complex and so like intricate. And it is actually sometimes quite difficult to explain because some of the effects seem counterintuitive. And it would be because your kidney is so intricately involved with everything. In certain instances, it will want certain effects, and in others, it would want different effects. And that's what makes it such a tricky organ. And that's why it's also very hard to just issue out set guidelines. Oh, you must do X and Y. And I mean, oh, so this is why we can't treat it like um, make it public like we do with cholesterol and diabetes because it's far more difficult and involved it is yeah it is quite difficult and involved i mean um when i see any patient like for the first time i have sat down at least an hour to spend with them and the first part is me just asking everything in their history and like sometimes people look at me like why are you asking these questions Mm. and i mean i do ask i ask how much coffee do you drink how much tea do you drink? What is your exercise? What are you doing? Um, so it is quite an intricate um, organ. And otherwise, you'll never get the background story of what maybe has happened. Why is their kidney function dropped? And um, because it just is so involved in everything. I, I, I want to just add on to what Claudia just said here. Guys, if you ever get or have to see a nephrologist, now is not the time to try and pretend that you're healthy. Um, you know what? Here you have to be open and upfront. Um, there's no shame. It's done. Uh, uh, please be honest. Claudia, moving on, diabetes, um, sugar. How does sugar affect the kidneys? And again, um, I, I read an article uh, in preparation of this that even if we get the diabetes under control, the damage can sometimes continue with kidneys. But do you want to just run us through that briefly? So, so diabetes, what happens with diabetes is um, if anyone is to look or Google what a kidney looks like or what the underlying anatomy is you have a filter and i sometimes liken it to you have a sieve sieve that is sitting on top of a pipe and you will filter the blood through the sieve and then your urine collects in that pipe and then the pipe does very special things in terms of what gets reabsorbed and what you ultimately will pee now in diabetes what happens is you essentially can either damage your sieve, um, which is the main thing, but you can end up almost puncturing holes into your sieve. So bigger particles get through that shouldn't. Yes, that shouldn't. But then what also happens is your body tries to heal those holes. So if you imagine a metal sieve, the only way you're going to heal that is if you were to weld it back together. And so then you now suddenly have an area that you can't sieve anything through at all. Ah. And then that puts pressure on the parts of the sieve that you can 
still filter through because now they have to work harder. So if you had a construction site and you had 10 construction workers on that site, but one falls ill, if you ask the other nine to pick up up that work, as time goes on, those of those nine, they're going to work harder. And so then you're suddenly left with eight. But if you're still expecting them to do that same amount of work, they're also going to get damaged as time goes on. And so that sort of ends up being the process that you have. And that's why it ends up being progressive. It's just one after the other. And so what we then try and do is we try and control blood pressure and sugar far more strictly and to almost sort of say, (laughs) if we've only got seven construction workers left, we're not expecting you to do the work of 10. We're we're trying to limit okay, so that. So you're work limiting the workload then yeah. on that. Okay. Um you you mentioned medication and, and this for me is scary because um the medications that I'm aware of that cause kidney dysfunction is something that everyone around me is taking on a daily basis, including me. So Claudia, um Medication, which are the ones that we need to be aware of? So the one big one is your non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. People don't know what Mm non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are. So, you know what, we need to tell them. I'm those people. (laughs) (laughs) These are your anti-inflammatories like uh, ibuprofen and... um, uh, Myprodols and uh, Panada is not a non-steroidal, no, not. but you know, so it's the Voltarins and those kind of things. Things that people take um, over the counter for pain that contains um, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And, yeah. and most of us are taking these. Myprodol, for instance. Yeah, and the thing, the th- thing with it again is not everyone is going to have a problem with their kidneys with using anti-inflammatories, but if you have other issues, so it's almost like a cumulative effect. So it's all these like hits. So it's one hit after another, after another. And then sometimes taking anti-inflammatory can be the one that then just tips the scale and then your kidney function drops. And again, it goes to the effect that the, your kidneys have these tiny little blood vessels and the anti-inflammatories affect those blood vessels, which then affects the ability for kidneys to do their job. So that is why anti-inflammatories have such a big role in potentially causing kidney problems. I'm trying to go back 27 years to pharmacology. Non-steroidals causes vasoconstriction. It's because they, well, they actually prevent vasodilation. So and now we're getting really technical. <laughs> so I'm on I'm the right pretend, path. Like, yeah, I know what you just said, girl. <laughs> That's so why it's a bit technical. They, they keep the vessels small, okay. which means that the pressure through the vessels are harder. Um, and by preventing them from opening up, um, we prevent blood flowing through them. So it's like using a hose pipe um, and you turn that little orange thingy in the front mm-hmm. uh, from a psh, to a psst. Okay. So, yeah. okay. Um, Claudia, other medications that we need to be uh, aware of? And I, here I'm thinking of our discussion that we had the very first time, um, and we're seeing it a lot today. I, I'm prescribing a lot of medication. 
for um, ARVs and yeah. PrEP? So antiretrovirals, there is um, one in particular, which is called Tenofovir. And Tenofovir is quite an interesting one um, because there are different forms. And a lot of the newer antiretrovirals have a form that is safer for kidneys than the original one. Um with tenofovir, it's not something that'll cause your kidney function just to drop immediately. It's something that causes a problem as time goes on. Mm. And so it's something that you should then have your kidney function checked. But HIV in itself causes kidney issues. HIV attacks the kidney itself. So um, anyone who is HIV positive should always be having their kidney function checked at least generally once to twice a yeah, as per the current guidelines. Um, and if you are on <coughs> Tenofovir, it should still continue to be checked. The one that I, uh, people don't know what the active ingredients are in the medication. If we put someone on uh, PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylactics, um, and a lot of people are on them today, we usually put them on the ones that uh, the, the trade name is called Altatripla. Um, that contains ephedrines and uh, tenofovir. So the majority of people are on, will be on, on or have exposure to tenofovir. Yeah. yeah, most of the single the single tablet ones, so your combination tablet will have tenofovir. In it, and so it's just it is why it is important to ensure you have your regular follow-up visits, that you do go for your regular tests, and you're not just going in for your prescription to be filled all the time. Okay. Um, other medications, I know that the psychiatric medication can be a problem. Yes, particularly lithium can cause an issue. Um, most psychiatrists will carefully monitor kidney function and then if they notice um, that the kidney function is going off, then they would refer to a nephrologist or a kidney specialist. And then it does become quite tricky because some people really, um, lithium may be the drug of choice and they may do very well on lithium. And so we have to then look at what are the other things that we can do or can assist with and as I said like just sort of how do you make life easy for the kidneys if those drugs are the only drugs that really work so it, it is tricky okay something that I think the majority of us do is take supplements um, are there supplements that we should stay away from are there supplements that we should consider adding in so um, when it comes to supplements, the first thing I would say is to be careful in terms of the way the tests are done. And again, there's not a huge amount of literature, so I'm speaking more just from my own experience at seeing people who take supplements. So if you are taking um, creatine. Yeah, that's the one that I tell people to stop. The, the one thing on the test, though, is your test that the GFR is calculated is based on creatinine. And um, creatine there will always make the test slightly higher just to start with. But interestingly enough, and this is, um, it was published about a month ago, and it is a very big study that is the first time um, 
it has been done to show what calculations are correct for Africa. And it's a study that combines South Africa, Malawi. Um, I can't think of the third country right now. But um, in fact, this paper showed the test that we're currently using to calculate kidney function or GFR using creatinine is not really accurate in terms of the African population. And we should rather be using a test called cystatin C. And um, so really groundbreaking research that came out a month ago. What's the difference between the current test and the one you just mentioned? So the the test that I've just mentioned is um, it's also a blood test. Mm-hmm. It is newer. It looks at a different marker in terms of your blood that your kidneys should clear. So it's using a different marker to get what your kidney function is. Um, but what's very important is... Essentially, the old test has been around since the 1960s and no Mm. one really has done much in terms of, and everyone just sort of accepted it, oh, this is the correct test. But they started to notice that the test perhaps didn't apply so much in um, America when they looked at African-Americans, but there'd never been any study that looked at people who lived in Africa or in South Africa or in Malawi. And so that's why they did the study. And I mean, it's a really remarkable study. It's over 3,000 people. And so it actually shows that the current test that we're using, um, we should change. And this is only for African patients or this, this will, are we seeing a difference in Indian patients as well? Well, it's the, it's, it was only done on African patients. So it's similar before all of the other tests were done generally on either Europeans mm. or on Caucasian Americans. Mm. And mm. so mm. that sort of data has always just been used and the rest of the world has used it. And that's why the study is so significant because it's the first time that we actually have our own data to say this is a better test this works better so on that question i need to ask you when i when i sent my patients for blood tests because in in my normal screening test i include glucose um, and i include an insulin and i include a cholesterol my patients are fasting does fasting where you have nothing to drink for eight to ten hours have an impact on the result of your GFR? It does have an, it does have somewhat of an impact on it, but most of the times with fasting, the, you should be able to still have water. It's more about actual food and the, the tests that are judging, particularly glucose and that, because that's going to be affected by your food intake. So it doesn't mean that you can't have any water. You just can't have tea or coffee. You can't have fruit juice because that would affect all of your results. But plain water, you should still be able to just have plain water. I learned something new again today. It's different from going for surgery, though. Surgery fasting is nothing. So that's a different thing. There's always a qualification on everything. (laughs) Okay, Um, Claudia, one of the things that we do at the tea clinic on – 99% of our patients, um, and this is something that I've discussed with you at various occasions, is the optimization of hormones. Um, And specifically in in our patients, we use uh, physiological or low doses of testosterone. Um, Balancing hormones, testosterone, there's so many people out there that's abusing um, 
testosterone, black market testosterone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you do this correctly, does it have a detrimental effect on kidney function or not? Can this help with kidney function if done correctly? So I think when it comes to hormones, generally almost being in your body's fittest state will always help. But the thing is about getting it correct. And I think a lot of people, if they're doing it blindly, can do it incorrectly and then they can end up with more complications. And so, um, I mean, it's very similar, like other things to think about is more and more literature is looking at subclinical hypothyroidism as an example, whereas before everyone thought, oh, you didn't need to treat people if their thyroid gland was not working fully as long as it was working somewhat or at 50% yeah, it was I, okay. I, I, when, I, when I look at my patients, I explain to them TSH, for instance, which is thyroid stimulating hormone is quite a broad reference range, but the optimal range is far smaller. Yeah. Um, with your T3, T4 levels also. Um, uh, and what's your optimal range or what your optimal numbers can be very different from mine or from some peers optimal numbers. And that's why, like, again, the trend becomes so important. And, <sighs> and, and that's why I was just explaining it in the way of thyroid hormone is before people thought, no, unless you were overtly hypothyroid or you had like very little thyroid hormone that's when you're replaced but now there's a lot more looking into it that perhaps um if people do have symptoms and that that perhaps if they don't meet the actual diagnosis and they are subclinical they might need a little bit of replacement and they then end up feeling much better they end up having much better outcomes and again there's still research going on into that and there's still work being done in it but it kind of lends to this idea that perhaps um being optimized is maybe a bit better than waiting until people are like completely deficient well you know but i i see the latest um data that is coming out and which is becoming mainstream just not yet in south africa i think we're lagging a bit behind on the benefit of optimal hormone balance. Yeah. Um, and I always start uh, my my um, talks when I give to the public um, by asking them, who of you are taking hormone replacement therapy a moment? And they all think estrogen. Um, and then I go on and I say to them, which of you are taking DHEA? And there's always a couple that take DHEA. Um, and then we go over to the, the, the nice ones. Who of you are taking vitamin D? And then suddenly everyone's hands are up. Who of you are on thyroid medication? And uh, the ones whose hands aren't up, suddenly go up. So 99% of us are taking some form of medication that has an impact on hormone levels. Or we taking a hormone. Vitamin D is a hormone. So um, this is this is a very intricate thing. And something that you guys as nephrologists have to work with very, very delicately. Claudia, before we go, we're running out of time. What are the things that we can do and should do to um, manage, uh, maintain kidney function and to prevent kidney disease? Is there anything that we can do? So exercise. Exercise is very important. Um and it doesn't actually have to be a huge amount of exercise. So half an hour, five days a week is walking, walking, 
Perfect. is fine. Like it's just, it's getting something. But again, this is not something you go, Oh, I walk all day in my job. It has to be some dedicated exercise that you're getting the heart rate up from there. So it's actually about increasing blood flow, heart rate. Yes. Blood flow, increasing okay. blood flow. That's exactly what it is about. So increased blood flow. Uh, six. Good enough. <laughs> six, half an hour a day because you will increase blood flow. You should increase blood flow, especially if it's quite exertional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So increase blood flow to the kidneys. In other words, be active. Be what active. Else? Um, ensure that you have enough fluids and really water should be some component of that fluids. Um, stay away from sugary drinks. Stay though. away from sugary drinks. Yes. Because you're going to, you might be fit and healthy now, but you might end up Quick paying for it later. With the, the, the cool drinks again um no sugar diet cokes all that is that on the good side of the, the spectrum remember what's in diet coke aspartame yeah and you're horrible for your kidneys yeah okay okay just have to make sure there's never anything that like is perfect <laughs> i i i want i think i have a perfect thing it contains sugars but all the sugars come from fruit okay. i think that and I, because this is what i do i i, I battle to drink just plain water. Um, but I, I juice my fruit. Um, I do berries. Um, I do cucumber. I do lemons. Um, I do green apple. I do pineapple. And then I make cold drink from it by just adding a little bit of carbonated water. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the thing, like some people will tell me that they just can't drink water. And then I would say something sort of similar. If you can't do it, then perhaps dilute a juice exactly like that. You're adding carbonated water to it or um, chop up some strawberries in it so that you're getting that sort of mm. flavor from mm -hmm. the water, put yeah. lemon in it, have hot water with lemon. Um, you know, so there are ways if you really struggle to drink water that you can flavor it. Mm. Um, but the flavored waters that we can buy no, because they contain aspartame. Yeah, and a lot of them actually, some of them are very high in sugars if you have a look at it no. as well. So okay. you need to have a look. What does everything contain? It's not just blindly accepting, oh, this is fine. This is a flavored water. This is all great for me to drink. You know, I think the food track is besides the fact that they have to bloody well find water and it easier than us. Um, Claudia, um, from the tea clinic side, um, you know what, we utilize your services quite often. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your very, very busy schedule to come and talk to us about kidney function. Um, I think the information that we relate today to the man in the street should create a little bit more awareness that this is an organ, one of the most important ones, and that you have to look after it and that it's not actually that difficult to maintain your kidney function. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for you. Simply it was good um, being here with you. Next week we'll be back, and I have no idea what I'll be talking about. <laughs> so um, have a good, good uh, week, and we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Bye. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.